Where Dreams Come From is a podcast featuring successful people from different walks of life around the world. People who have pursued their dreams to arrive at a station in life. I'm your host, Sanjeev Chatterjee. Today's guest, Shahidul Alam, is a Bangladeshi photojournalist, activist and institution builder. I recorded our conversation in 2019 in Salzburg, soon after his release on bail from a Bangladeshi prison where he had been incarcerated, ostensibly for speaking truth to power and criticizing the government for violently suppressing student protests. The international call for Shahidul's release was, in my opinion, a vindication of his worldwide reputation as an advocate for the powerless and as a photojournalist. After his arrest in mid-2018, and the outcry that followed, Time magazine included Shahidul in their list of Persons of the Year 2018. Shahidul Alam, welcome to Where Dreams Come From. It's happy to be here. I'm a dreamer. I wanted to start wherever you think the beginning is. I was born in Dhaka, in a middle-class neighborhood called Azimpur. My mother was a school teacher. My father was a doctor. I'm told I was an accident. At a candid moment, my mother revealed to me that I'd been an accident. Essentially, when my father's elder sister passed away, she left. Uh, there were these children. She sort of knew that her husband would probably marry again. Uh, and had entrusted the children with my father. So at that time, we had a family of two children, my elder brother and my sister. Suddenly, it was a family of six children. My mother, my parents had both been in Kolkata and came over after partition. She had wanted to set up a school for girls in Azimpur. Uh, no one was interested, so she bought a tent from one of my cousins for Tentaka, pitched it in the middle of a playground, and with 14 kids, started a school which now is one of the best-known schools and colleges for girls in the country. She passed away uh, a few years back, but that's the sort of environment I've grown up in. Looking back, that particular ex example of your mother setting up a tent, with what vision, who knows? What impact did it leave as you look back? I, I think my parents have had a huge effect on me. Uh, and... Not just my parents. I think we've lost a generation that had a sense of value that we have perhaps not been able to preserve. But I think the reason behind that was that they had a belief that they were building something. They'd been under British rule when it was Pakistan. Obviously, they, they felt there was post-colonial times. This was their time to build something. After 71, they got an independent Bangladesh. And that, too, was another opportunity. We had gotten rid of the Brits. We had gotten rid of the Pakistanis. This was our own nation. We were going to build it, and every person had to play his or her role. And that's what they were doing. They were both educationists. My, my father, uh, as a medical professional, set up the Institute of Public Health, set up the first oral cell line plant in the country. They both built for the future. What did it mean for you in action? I think they were people who were very progressive, very broad-minded, but also open to being questioning. And that, for me, was interesting. My brother was much older than me, seven years older than me, but at some point 
the two of us felt that we needed to have an identity of our own, that we would, didn't want to be known as the children of famous parents. So we approached our parents and said we wanted our names changed. Now, that's not an usual thing to happen. So they did ask why, and we explained that we wanted our own identity, and we wanted to be known for who we were. And they thought this was a reasonable request. So uh, while I didn't choose my name, which Shahid Alam, as it was then, was witness of the world, which is quite appropriate for being a photographer, but the fact that I have a name which is different from my parents, and it was taken on because I wanted an identity for myself, which they were comfortable with, I think shows both um, the openness they had and the confidence they had in ourselves and us being able to fulfill our own vision. I had a strong interest in life sciences and perhaps was at least slightly removed from that. I graduated in biochemistry and genetics and then went on to do a PhD in organic chemistry. But that was the time when I got involved with the Socialist Workers' Party in Britain. I got very involved with the leftist movement, with gay rights, with race rights, with class rights. I was very involved in this Solidarnock movement for Poland. Uh, and as uh, a conscientious activist, uh, I was looking for the tools I might use. I was always, always going to go back home. There was never any question of it. And I sort of thought to myself whether Bangladeshi, Bangladesh needed yet another research chemist. And I found, or at least I felt, that if I was to fight for social justice, which is where my interest was, I was to use the most powerful tool available. Photography for me was it. I didn't at that time know if I could make a living as a photographer, but I thought it was worth giving it a go. So in 84, having finished my PhD, I came back to Bangladesh. At that time, I tried to make a living as a photojournalist, but that wasn't working out. I didn't have a track record as a photojournalist. Uh, I had never worked for a newspaper. I didn't have the connections in the media world. But I did have technical skills, and I teamed up with some business people, investors basically, who... And together we set up a company and we were doing corporate work, advertising, fashion, industrial photography, making good money, but not doing the type of photography I was interested in. When I left Bangladesh in 72, I'd left behind an independent nation in turmoil, in a difficult situation, but still full of hope. When I came back, I realized that my country was in the grips of a dictator, a military dictator. So I, along with many others, we were activists in the streets trying to bring, bring down this general. And I was photographing our movement. It was very much a personal project. The work I was doing at this agency, at the studio, was what kept me going. But it was as an activist in the streets, smelling the tear gas, smelling the gunfire, that I was practicing what I'd come here to do. Just in the course of this short period in this conversation, I, I'm getting the sense that even as you were pursuing your degree in chemistry and before that, there was a seed of photography somewhere. Yes, there was. Uh, it wasn't so much because of photography. It was I was in awe of what this medium was capable of. I was practicing photography. I was taking pictures. But it was how those images related to me. I looked at the work of these great photographers. 
I saw what a transformative role it had played. I didn't at that time know that I could do something similar, but I wanted to have a go. And I actually started working professionally in London. It was in a small studio taking pictures of kids. I would stop people in the streets if they had kids, try and make an appointment, go to their home and take happy, smiling pictures of their children. I made a decent living. I was selling pictures. I was a star in the in the studio. But I knew I wasn't really doing the type of photography I was interested in. And they sort of joked with me, say, what are you talking about? You're a star photographer. You make more money than anyone else. Everyone's uh, raving about you. And I knew that I'd gone into photography for something very different. So I decided to make a very clean cut. I gave up that job. I saved what I had, came over to Bangladesh with the idea that I would be a documentary photographer. But in Bangladesh, that reality was also different. I had to survive. It was through that activism that I got my opportunity. This conversation, of course, is about where dreams come from. And I'm trying to zero in of a seed, perhaps, of where it arose. The idea of what has been called to use photography as a flamethrower. That was why I took up photography. Um, That was why I changed my profession. That was what I was going to do when I came back to Bangladesh. But I think the seeds were also from the War of Liberation. We had gotten ourselves an independent nation. We had fought very hard for it. A lot of people had sacrificed a lot. There were those dreams that our founding parents had dreamed about, what they had sacrificed for. They had left this nation for us, and it was for us to realize those dreams. What we were up against were the power structures and the fact that photography challenged those power structures was what made photography and photographers dangerous. So from that period onwards, um, during the Shad regime, I've had a loaded gun pointed in my face. This is one of eight knife wounds I got during um, the uh, BNP regime. The Army League put me in jail. And pretty much all these governments, despite their rhetoric, want to cling on to power at come what may. And we are the thorns in their path. Hence, they have continued to try and make life difficult for us. I uh, am fortunate to be in the field of education. And young people in America, the ones that are so inclined, who want to have media as an agent for change, always imagine that they're going to somehow use the media to change the world. Uh, after these many 40-plus years of experience, how do you look at that particular impulse to go out and change the world? Certainly, changing the world is a grand concept. It has to begin by changing yourself. And often we forget that, and that we are the carriers of the seeds of these big ideas, and that you have to live the life that you believe in um, is something that's fundamental. Um, but what I have done, essentially, is be very strategic over this time. Uh, I've looked at the political system. Uh, I, I want to have an intervention in that space. But at a time when, not just in Bangladesh, perhaps the world over, money and muscle are such big factors in political ascendancy, uh, I felt that 
if I were to join mainstream politics using those tools, uh, I would be giving up the very um, beliefs that I had started with. So my plan was to use three areas of intervention, media, education, and culture, to exert pressure upon the political space so politicians could not get away with the indiscretions. And I've done that not only through my own practice, but by building the platforms that will be uh, available to a future generation. So the agency DRIC, uh, the School of Photography Pachala, and the Festival Chobimala are the three entities that work in those three areas of intervention. Uh, when we had our festival recently, the decision to have the festival was taken while I was in jail. And we decided to go ahead. We helped the festival. It was a very successful one. We, under this very repressive regime, we began with a session which talked about freedom of thought and expression in South Asia. And we ended later with a conversation between Arundhati Roy and myself, again talking of those ideas about fundamental freedoms. That we were able to do that at this time with so little resources meant a lot for the people of Bangladesh. And I have since been approached by very many people who saw the festival not as an art event, but as an act of defiance. And they have looked at events such as this as the role models through which they can express dissent. At this point in your career, can you give a shape to the dream you had and to what extent you've been able to live it? I think what I need to think about is continuity. Uh, you know, one can only achieve so much within one's lifetime. But if one is able to plant the seeds that continue once one has gone, then there is hope for the future. The biggest challenge for me now is to ensure that the institutions that I've been building are robust enough to withstand the pressures they will invariably sustain once I'm gone, to ensure that there is the next layer of leadership, to make sure that they're governed by bodies that have that level of integrity and trust, and that they will continue to guide these organizations in that way. I was the founder principal of the school. Now, Abir Abdullah, a student from the first batch, is the new principal. I was the founder of the festival. Tansim Wahab, another former student, has just taken over as the new director of the festival. I'm hoping to bring about similar transformations within the agency. Not all of it's going to be easy, and there will be mistakes, there will be stumbling blocks, but I think those are part of the terrain we have to take on. How do you adapt to the changing ground reality of what the majority actually thinks and how that shifts over time, and has that been something of a concern, or has that been something that you had to adapt to? One of the realities we have to recognize is that, you know, not everyone will have the same aspirations, and people's reality temper their aspirations. I think the challenge today is to ensure that people do not give up hope. Uh, we are in a repressive environment. On the face of it, it's a democratic elected government, but we know that it, this government has no legitimacy. The, the elections were rigged and the democratic institutions that were meant to be in place have largely been destroyed. So we have a population that lives in fear before they can realize their dreams, what they must do is to overcome that fear, to believe again, 
to hope again, to dream again. And I believe it is the task of those of us who are more privileged to provide those dreams, to rekindle those hopes, and to nurture the beliefs that are still inside. The institutions that I've talked about will perhaps do that to an extent. And while I do not believe single leaders are what it's about, I think collectively we do have a leadership role. How was Bangladesh's ambition to be a nation on its own different from Pakistan's vision? Certainly the division at that time was based on demography and religion. But there is a big difference between Pakistan and Bangladesh. I mean, though we are the same religion, we're culturally different, ethnically different, linguistically different. Uh, and I am now no longer convinced that religion itself can be the basis of a nation-state or the basis for the union between nation-states, components of a nation-state. Britain, Germany and France are largely Christian communities. They are very different cultures, very different entities. One would never imagine that they would be one country. They might work together. That's a different issue. Bangladeshis and Pakistanis are as different culturally as you can imagine. Though we had a shared religion, we still do. The interesting thing was that it was religion that was used as a means of suppression. Pakistan, during the genocide, had actually labeled us as Hindus, justifying their oppression. But the interesting thing about Bangladesh is that while Islam is by far the majority religion, it is not only politically, but also socially and culturally a very secular nation. I'll give you simple examples. The Christian community is less than 1%. The Buddhist community is a fraction of a percent. The Hindu community is less than 10. We don't know exactly what that is. So it's by far a Muslim-majority country, yet our national holidays include Buddha Purnima, the major pujas, Borodin, Christmas, as well as, of course, the Eids. During those religious events, the head of state greets the minority groups in my country. And as I've grown up, I have always been very pleasantly surrounded by this extremely secular, tolerant culture I'm embedded in. However, more recently, politicians have begun to use religion for their personal gains. And Irshad Zia before him, Irshad turned towards religion. Today, religion plays a much more divisive role than it ever did before. And it is politicians with their short-term goals using religion to divide people. I put together an exhibit which was a photographic exhibition inside a mosque. There are the conservatives who believe that photography is haram, that it's not right for photography to be used within an Islamic environment. I went back to the life that the Prophet had lived, the fact that the Prophet's mosque in Medina was not merely a place for prayer, but also a hospital, a community center, an education center, an art space, and that the Prophet had seen the mosque as playing a far bigger role than simply being a place of prayer. So I put together an exhibition based on that idea, convinced the people in the mosque that it should be inside a mosque, and that became a very significant um, example of that appreciation of 
that aspect of Islam. The show has also been used by the Commonwealth Initiative for Freedom of Religion and Belief to talk about, again, religious harmony and tolerance. And I believe will be shown in New York when I have my retrospective there this November. Uh, at perhaps the Jamaica Mosque or the New York University Mosque. We haven't decided yet. What is your dream for the institutions that you've built, particularly the four, Drik, Patshala, Chobimela, and of course, Majority World? For me, institutions have no meaning unless they carry those value systems that they were built upon. And I think the institutions are robust and they will continue to play a role. But the material form of the in institution isn't so important. Though we have now built a building which will house both Rick and Bachelor together and uh, will also support the other entities. Uh, but I really see institutions as collectives of people. And I believe and I hope that the institutions will be nurturing environments and that they will provide an umbrella for a new generation of people who will fight the fight that we have been fighting and continue to dream. What is your overall advice to young people who are really unable to look beyond the borders of their circumstance? I think uh, some of the finest attributes of youth are creativity, curiosity, a certain element of risk-taking. Sadly, as they grow up, our education system is like a sponge that takes out all that vibrancy from their lives. I hope that vibrancy stays. And I hope they believe in that vibrancy. And I hope that that self-belief is something that they will never lose. But in the end, it is about the greater good of the public. That cannot be undermined or underrated in any way. I think a lot of what happens happens because we live in a very consumer-oriented world where we are taught of the value of acquisition and material things. Uh, I do not put them down. I think they, there is a value and certainly people may aspire to material comforts. But that there is a greater purpose in life. And I think at some point we need to question why we are on this earth. If all we've done is been born and grow up and acquire material acquisitions and then die, we've not really lived. Our footprint has not made a change to this planet of ours. And I believe it is the responsibility of each one of us to ensure that we leave behind a planet better than we found it. And the youth are the most powerful people who can do that. I would like them to believe in themselves and to believe in a planet that they can leave behind for their children. More than other impediments that Shahidul Alam faced, he was faced with a jail sentence and is currently, as we have this conversation, he spent 100 days in jail and now out in bail with the possibility of a 14-year sentence. Does that dampen the dream? I think... My jail experience was something um, which uh, was a huge learning experience for me. Firstly, I discovered an aspect of my state and my society which I was not aware of to that level. I met 
tremendous people who had been wrongly imprisoned in jail. I saw the resilience of the prisoners. I felt the warmth and the love that they gave me. And I shared our collective goal of Bangladesh that we really aspire towards. I think my jail experience is something that will invigorate me. Certainly I tried to do as much in jail as I could, along with my fellow prisoners, to change the lives of us all. And I continue to be doing that. I continue to be working with them in terms of jail reform. But also, while I was in jail, I met very fine people whom I had great access to because of the circumstances. Now I'm, in a sense, far more invigorated by what one is able to do, by how even small interventions can make a difference to other people's lives. So while I would not recommend jail to people necessarily, uh, I myself feel that it was a chapter in my life that will hold me in good stead. And I remember that period, I remember my fellow prisoners, and I remember that they too had dreams, and I hope I can live them for them. What have you left behind in jail? A part of me, over 35 murals that are painted all along the walls. It's like a gallery out there. The adult literacy classes we started, the musical band, the 40 songs they've written since, the other people we've been able to help get bail because of what we did, the vegetable patch that continues to nourish them, and the belief that they have. But more importantly, uh, what I'm trying to do now, now that I'm out, is work with many other organizations on jail reform to ensure that the injustices that are perpetrated by the states cannot continue. Shahid Alam, thank you very much. It's good to be here. I hope to be back.